This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. When you have financial independence, you have freedom and choice. And if we are hoping to achieve gender parity and gender equality in this world, women need to make more. And it's a win-win for everybody when women have more money at their disposal. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about when wives make more than their husbands. Sounds cool to me, actually, but not everyone feels the same way. With the number of female breadwinning households quadrupling since 1960, the marriage and money dynamic is changing as well. How does the modern man fit into this changing picture? And how can women still have the family life they want while growing their careers and income? Well, my friends, on the show today, I've invited a true family woman who is also an expert in careers and money. Farnoosh Tarabi is one of America's leading personal finance authorities hooked on helping Americans live their richest and happiest lives. Her latest book called When She Makes More explores 10 rules for breadwinning women who are navigating this new financial landscape. Farnoosh is married to her husband, Tim. And she's a proud mother to two small kids living in New York City. Millions of listeners have tuned into her podcast, So Money, which has featured the likes of Ariana Huffington, Robert Kiyosaki, and Barbara Corcoran. Farnoosh has been a go-to money expert for O, The Oprah Magazine, Mint.com, The Today Show, and Money Magazine. And I'm thrilled to have her on the show today. Welcome to the show, Farnoosh. Thank you so much, Andy. It's such a pleasure, and that's such a generous introduction. I'm really excited for our convo. Absolutely. We've done a lot of amazing things, and uh, you and I are in a similar boat, being uh, young parents with small kids trying to figure all this out. So I I wanted to talk to you about your book uh, today. So according to your book, uh, four in 10 households with children under the age of 18, the mom is the primary breadwinner. And I understand that's the number that's quadrupled since 1960. Why, Why has there been such an increase? Right. So the four in 10 figure actually also includes single moms. Uh, the figure that's quadrupled is the number of breadwinning wives, uh, married moms. Um, that number right now is around 20, hovering around 25% of marriages have a, a mom who's out earning her husband. And that has quadrupled since the Mad Men era. And there are a number of factors, I think, that are boosting this trend. And I'm a big fan of this trend. I am amongst this community. And uh, we'll talk later about some of the, the the sort of complexities of this. But what I think is uh, fueling this is a few things. One, uh, more women are going to college and graduate school, and in fact, uh, more than men. Uh, there are higher numbers of women uh, finishing college and, and graduate school, which puts them in a better position in some ways for the job market and also for earning more money. Secondly, I think that despite the fact that it's 10 years later, the Great Recession of 2008-2009 was largely dubbed the man session, Hmm. which in other words was a lot of men disproportionately losing their jobs compared to women uh, because we saw industries like 
finance and real estate and construction and manufacturing, which are predominantly male led, uh, those sh- industries shed a lot of jobs. And so men, uh, more men lost their jobs during the recession than women percentage wise of those who were in the workforce. And so what happened in families when dad wasn't working and mom, let's say was the stay at home mom or was working, but not making as much, she was the one who decided to step it up and go out there and work and make more money. And that, uh, perhaps became the way that the family just was after that. It wasn't nothing. Things didn't change after that, or like even the dad might've gone back to work, but mom was already out earning him. And so there's that. And I think also, as we look at the changing workplace and where we're seeing a lot of job growth as industries, uh, emerge and grow, we're seeing a lot of industries like services, healthcare, education, those jobs, those job numbers and job opportunities are really growing. I think uh, faster than a lot of other industries and job opportunities. And those are often jobs that are filled by women. Interesting. Well, you said that you fall into this group as well. So when you and your husband got together, did you guys have a lot of conversations about your income at the time? Uh, Were you making more than him at that time? Yeah, I well, when we first started dating, we were pretty much uh, making uh, the same, and my nature, the nature of my work is such that I feel like there's no ceilings to how much I can make. I'm I'm self-employed, and so in some ways. I don't really have a, a, a salary band, so to speak. My husband works for corporate to, to some extent until he gets promoted. He, he will make what he makes. And so I'm an entrepreneur. He's an employee. And so that, I think, inherently created an environment or like a possibility for me to make more. And then I did. And to be honest, it never really was this sticking point in our relationship what was it maybe a little bit more jarring for him was the price shock of living in New York City. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been living here for all of my adult life. And when we started dating, he was commuting in from uh, Philadelphia, the suburbs of Philly. So he wasn't used to the prices, like getting a glass of wine, you know, $15. He was like, what is going on? That was a little bit more of something that he had to adjust to, I suppose. But I think what was really, for me, the light bulb moment when I realized you know, being a breadwinner as a woman in a relationship, it's not, it shouldn't, it's not just a given that it's going to be, it's going to work out hummingly. When we were about to get married, my mother, who is a traditional Iranian mom, uh, she was like, so wait a minute, you make more than Tim. And while this is not posing as a, as a problem right now, like how do you foresee this working itself out when you have kids and you have other responsibilities and isn't that going to be stressful, like to be a mom, but then also to be responsible for like the bills and making more money. And, and I was like, I got this mom, don't worry, you know, but I think what that that skepticism that she had really started to gnaw at me. And I was like, wait a minute, for once, the first time in my entire adult life, especially when it came to my finances, I felt like I didn't really have the support that I thought I did, that I assumed I did, that from from friends, family, the world at large, you know, and that there was some skepticism somehow about the arrangement that we had in our marriage, the financial arrangement. Hmm. And so I thought, well, this is interesting. And then I also took a closer look at my own behaviors as someone who was making more than my husband. And I started to see some behaviors that I didn't really like about myself. Like I thought that I think uh, I subconsciously was starting to make 
decisions and act in a certain way because I just thought, well, I make more. So therefore I'm going to make more of the financial decisions. I'm going to lead more of the financial conversations or rather not even have the conversations because I know what I'm doing and I'm making more and the decision is mine, you know, and I kind of didn't really invite my husband into some of the important things that I was deciding upon related to the wedding planning. And then we also bought a home. And so I noticed that in myself. I think I was starting to model after my father (laughs) uh, because I just figured, well, if you make more, that's just your domain. You start making all the decisions. And then I brought that up to my husband as a way to sort of start talking about this a little bit more thoughtfully. And I said, you know, I noticed that I'm doing these things. Are they, is it bothering you? Have you noticed? And he's like, well, yes, but I also want to contribute a little bit of the, like I, he, he took a little bit of the blame too. He's like, I'm not speaking up and I'm not asking the questions because I sort of feel as this person who's making a lot less, he didn't think it was his role, Mm -hmm. frankly, you know, or that he hadn't as much of a say or could have as much of a say. So right then and there, we clearly had fallen into these traps without really wanting to simply because of all of the expectations, subliminal, conscious, whatever that we had about what money means Mm -hmm. and what it means necessarily if you're making more of the money in your relationship. And I'm so grateful we had that conversation because then, you know, it, it helped us a lot down the road. Yeah. So we were sort of following into the stereotypical roles that you've seen in your life from your father or that you've seen in society saying, well, I guess if I'm making more then I have to make all these decisions. Right. Did, um, how did you guys remedy that? Well, uh, I, we remedied it by calling it out, you know, really saying, okay, this is, uh, this is happening and this is not what we want and it's not necessarily a healthy path. And so we started to, become more transparent. We created like, we shared a mint account. We got a financial advisor who helped to bridge the communication and also um, identify the things that we needed in an objective manner. So I didn't feel that it was all on me to come to him with ideas or vice versa, that we had this sort of middle party, middle person to help and navigate us. And that was so helpful in the beginning of our marriage. We also... I wrote a book, you know, and I started to (laughs) educate myself. Like I wrote when she makes more, not just for the millions of women out there and their partners who want to do better as uh, couples with their money. But for myself too, I was really in a place that I felt like I had to learn more still about how to thrive in a marriage where she is the breadwinner. Because yes, I did want to have kids and I knew that life was not going to be the same and there was going to be a shortage of time and, you know, kids are very needy and financially needy and emotionally needy. And so how do you continue the momentum in your career as a woman and come home and still be mom to the extent that you want to be, you know, and I want to be 120% mom when I'm home. So I interviewed a lot of other moms, other dads and learned, you know, it's the thing is, it's not going to be the same for everybody, but I kind of took the best what I thought was from every couple that I interviewed and created the book out of it. You know, one of the things that I learned was that every few years, you really need to redefine your purpose in that marriage. Hmm. You know, like we take, we do our vows, but as life evolves, as you have kids, as one person perhaps loses his or her job or starts to make more and their career becomes more demanding, then on the home front, what does your role now look like because of these other factors? So for men, especially, we discovered that 
when he is making less and it's not the expectation because maybe they got married and he was making more or he has traditional beliefs around who should make more and he thinks it should be him. And by the way, we think that may be a traditional old fashioned way of thinking, but a majority of Americans still think it's the man's responsibility to make the money in the marriage and to support the family. So, you know, it's, that's a whole other conversation. Maybe later we can get into is like this gap between what our intelligent brain tells us, but then really what our subconscious is telling us and how advanced we've become as a society, but how traditional still our values are in some ways when it comes to gender and marriage. But, you know, I discovered that for men, they can sometimes feel like they've lost their sense of way, the direction, purpose in a relationship when they're not given this big role of being breadwinner. And so as a couple, this is an opportunity. I see it as like a way to redefine his great purpose in the marriage as, and how you define that is to really think about how can he be the most important supporter in this family? If it's not through making the money, what else is it? And for the women in the, in these relationships who may feel because as the, as breadwinner and as mom and as chief household operator, they're drowning, you know, this is an opportunity to really uh, move a lot of responsibilities over to their husband. And then they have to be ready and willing to do that. I think a lot of women are resistant and I myself included in saying, okay, uh, I'm not gonna, you know, this is no, this particular aspect of our household is no longer in my domain. It's going to be now my husband's responsibility. A lot of families, for example, will say, my husband's in charge of food. That includes grocery shopping, cooking, you know, the kids' lunches, all of that. And... And that takes a huge chunk off your plate as the mom. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it takes some adjusting. Yeah. So it's, a, it's an identity shift. Identity yeah, it's grappling exactly with something kind of- new. That's exactly how I would describe it because, you know, our money, whether we like it or not, how we earn it, what we earn, um, we feel that it it does represent a bit of our identity Mm -hmm. and for some people more than others. And so figuring that out too, and I'm being very honest, you know, I said, I do believe that I get more satisfaction and I feel more me when I'm thriving at work than I am thriving at home. Like I just get, I source so much of my self-worth from going out there and achieving in the workplace. And I'm so proud of the fact that I can bring home the paycheck that I do to support my family. I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. And I would not want to give up that opportunity for myself. My husband feels that way, but not perhaps as much as I do. And that's a good thing. We're a good team in that way, because if we were both supercharged and super motivated by money and work, and then we have these kids, you know, to take care of, it would, it would feel, we would both feel very compromised, I think at the end of the day. And if you were to force yourself into the typical Iranian woman's role of being at home and being with the kids instead of doing what you're doing that would in some ways yeah the family probably it's just uh I, and I don't want to say that you know uh, there are so many entrepreneurial women in the Iranian culture and, and women who work very hard but I think there's still an aspect of what they believe to be true womanhood and true motherhood that involves being the primary caregiver 
and being supported by a man. You know, it's, it's like, I feel like I got a lot of mixed messages growing up where on the one hand, my parents really encouraged me to go to school, go to graduate school. My dad told me to negotiate my salaries and, you know, invest in my 401k. And they were really like concerned about my financial independence and, and setting myself up. And I bought real estate in my twenties yet there was still this hope that I would marry up so to speak, that I would marry someone who would take care of me. And I think that's where the culture hasn't evolved yet, where this concept of what it means to be taken care of as a woman necessarily involves money. And I understand that. I I think I, I, I see where that comes from, but I, I want to say that everybody, I want to say to my parents, like, I got the money. We're good. We're good on that front. Like, uh, how about I marry for love and all those other great things, you know? So, uh, I feel like I've really won the jackpot in a lot of ways, the life jackpot, because I'm able to take care of myself. I'm financially independent. And I think that gives me the freedom then to choose to marry for more important things, hopefully, or more, more meaningful things, reasons rather and there, you know, my parents get it now, certainly, That's but cool. I think it was a shift for sure. And mindset. You can do the things that you want, like uh, ride the bus with your, uh, your child to school. <laughs> yeah. So you saw, I, I felt like some people are like, so what's your definition of success? And I was like, well, I don't really have an overarching definition, but I will say that every day I feel successful in a different way, in a new way every day. And the other day I felt really successful in the fact that I could, I was able to uh, uh, rearrange a phone call for work so that I could be at the bus stop to pick up my son. It was his first time riding the bus. I wanted to be there. Um, and I remember as a kid, you know, getting off the bus and maybe my mom was or wasn't there. And and I remember those, those moments. And so I want to be able to, maybe I can't be there for everything, but I want to have some moments and start traditions with my kids. And so I felt very much like a, like a hashtag winning the other day when I was able to do that. And, you know, it's, it may seem like a small thing, but in my life, it's very big. That's cool. Well, so you, you've, you talked about the family dynamic a little bit, and obviously you've, you've gotten to a point in your career or your entrepreneurial venture where you've become very successful as you were growing your career and income and, and things like that over the years. Did you find any, um, I guess, adversity as you were a woman that was making more in the financial media industry? Well, I can't be certain, but I had a feeling sometimes that when I had, say, male bosses or male um, supervisors who knew what I, who knew that I had negotiated and was making more than, not say my husband, but just like in general, I was, I was making, you know, a good, a good salary. I think that there was some, I don't know how to describe it, but almost like, I don't know. I don't even know how, what I'm trying to say, but you know, I guess it's because there are no words to describe how you end up feeling some days at work when you feel almost like I should just be happy to be here. Um, they, they feel like maybe I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Maybe trying they're placing to ask that on you much. saying like that you should yeah. feel happy to be here. Well, I be let happy me tell with you, what you have. Or. So I didn't want to say this, but mm-hmm. I will, I won't say, obviously I'll keep it anonymous, but I remember some days when I would submit my, um, you know, time card, for example, at work, there, there was one particular job I had where I had to every week put in my hours and then get paid 
that was how I would get paid. It was sort of like invoicing. And so the person who would receive that would obviously see like what I worked and the, my earnings for that week. And he would, and he knew that I was working on the book called when she makes more. And a few times he would look at the time car and he'd look at me and he'd go, your husband's a lucky man. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I don't really know how to take this. Or it's I've worked really, really hard for this. <laughs> well, yeah. I was like, first of all, what I was like, this is so inappropriate on yeah. so many levels, like mm. to, to, for him to say something like that. And I don't think he meant it to be, I think he truly thought he was giving me a compliment. Right, right. I just didn't see it that way, you know, because I thought this is a comment that I'm getting because I'm a woman, because I make more than my husband. Do you think that someone, you think a woman is going to look at a, at a time card that she got from a man at work and go, your wife's a lucky woman. <laughs> what, what kind of comment is this? Right? Like, it's, it's so, so those things would happen to me and I couldn't help but feel sometimes like there were eyeballs on me, you know, and that people were, who were maybe aware of what I was making or that I was writing a book about being the female breadwinner that they were judging me for whatever reason. And, you know, sometimes as I was promoting the book, people would say, how does your husband feel about this? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, as if, and I get that because that's why I wrote the book people, because I know that there's a lot of judgment out there that when I would go to dinner parties and I would tell people what I was up to and I was writing this book and I knew for a fact that there were women at the table with their husbands who had the same reality as she was making more than him. And there would be silence when I would present the idea or the topic. I, you know, it's a taboo topic. Money, Andy, is a Money taboo in general topic. Is, right, exactly. Yeah, in, in, in at large in our culture. And then when you add this twist to it, it it becomes even more. It's hyper taboo, which makes it more fun for me to come out and be the crazy person that's talking about it. But I think that we need to talk about it, and I feel rewarded. And I know that I did the right thing by bringing this to light because I'd be, I'll, I'd go to book signings or, uh, events and, and women and men would come up to me and say, we, I read your book. My, my husband and I read your book. It saved our marriage. That's great. That's which great. Which is so incredibly amazing. We'll be back to the show in just a moment after a word from our sponsors. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. 
Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Hey, everybody. Thanks for considering our sponsors today. Let's jump back into the show. Well, you, you were having a conversation the other day with Jonathan Fields about um, a world uh, in which women make more and why that, that might be a better place, a better world. Can you talk about the benefits of um, a world where a women women make a little bit more? Well, in, and I just want to ref, say that when she, making more than she currently is making. Right. So it's not to say that in a world where women out-earn men, that's, sure. not, you know, that's not the euphoria I'm talking about. I'm just talking about a, a world where women are making as much as men and making as much as they deserve and are worth, which I think is far more than what they're getting being paid today. I just think that at the end of the day, when you have financial independence, you have freedom and choice. And if we are hoping to achieve gender parity and gender equality in this world, women need to make more. And it's a win-win for everybody when women have more money at their disposal to do things like invest in their communities, invest in their families, start businesses, give back to charity, uh, have more financial independence to get out of bad situations, um, have the money to be able to say no or say yes to opportunities where right now, if you don't have the money, you feel a little, uh, like you have your hands tied behind your back. And so, you know, money is not everything, but I think that money can definitely lock and unlock opportunities. And for women to have more access to money is something that is not just a nice thing to have. We must have that in society. And there are a lot of numbers to support this, this hope and dream of mine right now, women as uh, compared to men contribute more to charity as a percentage of their income, regardless of like what, how much they're making as a percentage of income, women make, give more to charity. And so I always say when, when you make more, the world becomes a better place. And so it's very simple to me. Like, I just think women need to make more so that they can have access to choices and then we can reach gender parity and, you know, we can call it a day, but it's going to, it's a long road. But I think that for me, this is going to be a mission that I won't give up on. Well, let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk this two part question then. So what are the things that are inhibiting that? And then what are mm -hmm. the things that can be done to support it? Well, there's gender bias out there. I think that we know this. Some people will deny that there's a gender wage gap, but that's 
I don't believe that. And I, I think, I don't think I'm alone there, but, um, and why there's a gender wage gap is, is a lot of reasons. One is that employers sometimes value men's work more and give that man more, but other times the woman doesn't ask for it. So she doesn't negotiate and doesn't make it. I do think that when it comes to money, women were new to the, to, to the frontier. Like we haven't been working as long as men. Uh, we haven't been given the opportunity to manage the money as much as men have. They have more time and experience. And so with that comes more confidence and I think less second guessing. And in the, as I see it, generally speaking, women, you know, we're not as risk tolerant. We don't ask for things like a raise or a promotion as much as men do. We uh, also are a little more skittish about investing in the stock market. Again, I think because we don't have the, the ex- as much as the experience, we haven't flexed that muscle as much as men have. And so we've arrived now where there is this gap. So there are a lot of reasons why the gender wage gap exists or a lot of reasons why the wealth gap exists between women. And I, yeah, I think those are a lot of the big reasons, uh, but I think a lot of it does come down to our own belief in ourselves. I think that we uh, get a lot of messages growing up and a lot of modeling growing up that says, you know, money is a man's domain, investing is a man's domain, the business world is a man's domain. And we, this isn't stuff that we've just dreamt up. Like it's, we see it like in true hard numbers. There are very few women on boards, very few women running companies, very few women that are getting the investing dollars to go start those businesses compared to men. And so those are a lot of the headwinds, but I think calling these things out and today is a voting day in New York. Uh, I'll be doing that later, you know, being very conscious and uh, deliberate about who you elect as your leaders and who you do business with. I think ultimately we can, we can change this up, this pattern. Yeah. Outside, outside of voting, what, what, what can, um, I guess people in a privileged position, maybe men that are in privileged position do Mm. to make a difference here? Because I, I don't know how this, let's say, let's say somebody's resonating with this message that's listening right now that's in a privileged position, that's a man. What can they do to make a difference? Well, they can see this firstly as not just a woman's issue. This is, like I said earlier, when women are able to have access to money and promotion and the things that money can provide too, right? Things that money can provide. It's a win for everybody. So believing that this is not just a woman's issue, this is everybody's concern and everybody's opportunity here. You know, so, uh, men who are, are not just mentors to women, but real sponsors for women in the workplace, you know, and also for men to be transparent. If you are say at work and you have a female colleague who is on, has a similar title to, you know, this has happened. If, you know, there's a trust tree, you share what you make and you might discover there's a huge gap for no other reason than because there, you know, maybe it was just a decision. Mm -hmm. And this has happened at a lot of companies and women have as a result been able to earn more because it has been deemed discriminatory. But, you know, if you are someone who has dollars to invest, you know, to start to be more open-minded, and seek out women who are starting incredible businesses these days. Um, that's another really great bright spot in all this is that I, you know, the trend for entrepreneurship is really leaning towards women. There are faster growing numbers of women starting businesses than men. 
And the challenge is that, you know, to start a business, you need money. And a lot of the venture capital is going still to men. Very, very little of it is going to women, not because they are not asking for it. It's just because I think there's a lot of more, uh, there's more skepticism around women starting businesses. Like we get, we get those questions like, well, uh, are you married? Do you have kids? You know, and that's not just a coincidental question. They want to know how much time do we have <laughs> to focus on this business? And those are the questions that come and come up in pitch rooms. And I've heard this firsthand from people who've tried to pitch their companies and, um, feel like they've been, uh, discriminated because of the fact that, well, if you're a woman, uh, you can't possibly have as much time to start or focus to start a business. So if you're in a place of privilege and you're a man, you know, befriend your female colleagues, um, ask how you can help and be an advocate for them, you know, in the workplace and beyond because there, there's no reason not to. And this is not just a woman's issue. This is a win for everybody. If we can get everybody on board to see this as progress for all, I think then we can start to move the needle. I love it. That's great. Thank you very much for that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about family. Uh, you are a family woman. I know what uh, that's important for you to have that as part of your identity first, um, being a married person with um, with two small children. Obviously, you've been very successful in your career, but family is a, a major important thing for you. So what, what, are, what are your keys to making family a priority in your life? Well, you just have to schedule it, you know, and really make time for your kids. It's very easy to unintentionally get distracted from being present for your kids. Like we just started, it's hard. I will say though, you know, my kids are four and 18 months. They're not yet at the age where they're agreeable or (laughs) cooperative (laughs) or listening or any of that stuff. But I do think, I think of myself when I was four and my son is four. Yeah. I remember a lot of things when I was four. That's sort of like when your memory really stops escaping you. You start to remember at least a lot of the stuff that was routine or the big conversations or the big trips or the big, even the little things like picking him up from school. Um, if you do it enough, it becomes something that he recalls as he gets older and it becomes a part of his kind of, uh, childhood fabric. And I want to be able to create good memories for my kids now and traditions as well whether it's trying to have family dinner, you know, uh, the other night, uh, and by the way, I don't make the dinner. That's how I get around having family dinner. I order it because I would never be able to actually create something that was edible, uh, (laughs) let alone on time. And I'm super tired from working. And so is my husband. So, you know, we have our go-to, uh, places that we order in from, or we go to the grocery store and get food and like, whether it's like a rotisserie chicken and whatever, and I'll make a quick pasta. But point is we try to do things that, um, are recurring and become part of our family dynamic. And I remember growing up too, I really admired families who they were like, Sunday is our day to be with our family, you know, and there was no birthday parties that, or there were no, like that family wasn't the one that would show up for an event because they were doing something together. I thought that was really special. And so, you, you know, I'm not, I, I don't really have a ton of mom guilt. I think I'm a rare person there. I, I probably should have more. I don't know, but I, 
uh, try to stick to my word with my kids. I, you know, if I tell my son, we're going to get ice cream on Tuesday, we get it. Even if he forgets, I remember I want to do it. And it's just, you know, not every day, not every week can we do things, but I try to just create those moments and those experiences. Um, having dinner together is important to me. And I just this last couple of months, I started to do it more uh, with more effort. And my daughter really is too tired and not really into the food right now to be eating with us at 630. She just wants to go to bed, but she likes to be a part of the experience, I've noticed. So I make a plate for her. I have no pressure on her to finish it or eat anything, but she just likes to kind of, she feels like a member of the family and my son likes to be at the table. So it's just one of those things where like last night, you know, the food barely got eaten. Evan got up a thousand times. We kept telling him to sit. He wanted to, he had to go to the bathroom. Then he had to, then he wanted to read a book. Like he's just at four, you know, you can't keep him still. But I said to my husband, you know, this was, this was a success. Cause why? Because, you know, the food's still on the table. It's not on the ground. And <laughs> The food did get eaten somewhat. And, um, you know, it's our fourth night in a row that we've done this and we haven't broken the streak. So I think that we should be proud. You said your daughter's 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, I think uh, an Olympic feat you just did. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Four days um, so, I, so I think it's lowering your standards partly, you know, appreciating that when you can be consistent or stick to your word, like that's a big deal as a parent that sometimes too, I've learned from older parents who have older kids, like, how did you, how did you manage, you know, your schedule with your career? And they're like, well, at some point you can start asking your kids, what is it okay for me to miss? And what do you really want me there for? Hmm. And sometimes like, you know, mom, this swim practice or this swim meet, it's not really a big deal, but please come to my violin recital, you know? And so that way you're following their desires. And I think that's, that's cool. Yeah. I think that's great. Well, a lot of coordination probably happens in the, in your household with your husband working and you doing what you're doing, um, with your entrepreneurial ventures and then having two small kids. So how how do you and your husband coordinate all of this? Do you guys have any sort of like, uh, hacks that we should know about as, as busy parents? Cause I'm a busy parent too. Yeah. I've got a six and four year old. I'd love to hear your, your perspective there. So we have a full-time caretaker, nanny, who comes at eight o'clock in the morning and leaves at five. And we have a great babysitter some nights. Uh, But my husband also has a job where he can walk to work. And that's super helpful if he has to be home for, you know, a doctor appointment or kids sick, like between the two of us, um, usually one can definitely do it because I work from home a lot too. So, but if there are certain, um, weeks where I'm traveling or he's traveling, we try to be sure that we have backup support just in case like schools, there's a snow day and one, you know, and I'm a home and I got appointments and I, and our nanny can't get here. Like, so we, I mean, I, I've, I've canceled work to be honest, because I can't go because I've had to, you know, I'm the only one who can be home with the kids because my nanny called in sick or, um, whatever happened. But I think that we just are, 
not shy to ask for help. So whether that's uh, calling up another parent and saying, Hey, can you do pickup? Cause I'm stuck at work or my nanny and saying, Hey, can you please stay an extra hour? Um, you know, that doesn't happen a lot, but we, we, have, we understand sometimes you have to do what you have to do. We also use Google calendar. Like it's our third partner in the relationship, like Google <laughs> calendar, we share calendars. So if, um, I want to know what's going on during my husband's day or vice versa. He can access that. We have a calendar just for our kids too, which is different colors. And that way we know it just pops when we know we have things to do. And I think that inherent to our jobs, our respective jobs is flexibility. You know, I work for myself, my husband, although he doesn't work for himself, he can walk to work and he works for a very family friendly company, started a startup that is led by two moms who bring their kids to work. So that wasn't unintentional. You know, he sought out a company like that because he knew that would be at the end of the day, a company that would have empathy and understanding for his home life. And I would love for more companies to emulate the company that he works for. It's, uh, it's, it, it can go a very long way because what I often see is that for the parent, it's usually the mom who opts out of the workforce once the kids are, well, once you have your first child, it turns out it's not just because she feels that her income is, you know, um, not sufficient or, Hey, you know, childcare is like more than my income. So what am I doing working? It's that also maybe she has to commute an hour every day. She has an, an, uh, an intolerable work schedule, an intolerable boss, a host, you know, so there are other reasons too, where she's not feeling compelled to go back to work. Um, and I think that if, as a, an, for companies, that's a big loss for them. They're losing great talent because of their culture. Yeah, well, I understand that. That's that sounds like it's a great company to do that. So I mean, you, you've um, you've mentioned through all this um, parental excitement and calendars and all the things we've been <laughs> to, you've mentioned that you've doubled your income after becoming mm. a mom. So how, how did you? Yeah. How the heck did you do that? <laughs> I mean, you'll have to read the money.com article to find out. No, I think it was basically. I think it was the mommy factor of come, you know, becoming a mom. And on the one hand, I wanted to be working even harder in some ways or more meaningfully in, in my career. I was sort of at a place in my career where I wanted to not just do the light work. I really wanted to go dive deep and I just come out with my book and I, I really wanted to start having more serious conversations around money and motherhood and all of that podcasting was emerging as this, uh, amazing platform way to communicate and connect with your audience. And I gravitated towards that immediately because it worked for me as a mom, as somebody who was working from home, who wanted to make a huge impact in her career and connect with her audience. I considered video and I was like, oh, I don't know, video, I have to like put on makeup and just <laughs> do the whole lighting. And it's a lot of work. But podcasting, I can do that. And that's also an opportunity to go deep. So whereas a video, four minutes, two minutes, podcasting, you can go on for an hour. And I really liked that. I also liked that it could be something that I could produce from home. So it was, I think the lesson there is I focused on what was kind of a combination of benefits. So, you know, podcasting for me, which has become a vehicle to make more at the end of the day, um, flex, it gave me flexibility. It gave me uh, an ability to do powerful work. 
despite the fact that I didn't also have to leave home. And that worked for me. And I think because I became a mom, I started to be way more clear. I had clarity on what I was worth, what was worth my time. You know, I think because when you become a parent, your time is so limited that you want to maximize and optimize the time that you have when it comes to investing in your work. And I think in that case, I just worked smarter, um, to be able to come up with this podcast as my next venture. And from there, I also decided to build more of a framework for myself as far as what I was willing to do and not willing to do travel, um, what I was willing to do for pay. I started to ask for more. Um, I started to say no to things that I didn't feel were worth my time. And I think as a result, opened myself up to more yeses Hmm. for things that maybe were able to come my way then because I was saying no to other things. And yeah, I just think, you know, with the podcast, especially I go back to that because what that has done for me, the, my, my podcast is called so money was, I mean, I started as a daily, that's a lot, that's crazy, but it was giving me so much content and so much insight into my audience that I was unable to get other opportunities. I became really experted in my, I mean, I was an expert now I feel like I'm like, I know too much about people's finances, but that's a good thing. I was able to parlay that into a contributorship at, O, a television show on CNBC, more speaking, more brand partnerships. Um, I, I still think a podcast is a great way for people to up level their platform, their positioning as a thought leader or their positioning as an expert. And I think I got in at a good time too, when there weren't a lot of female podcasters, particularly in the world of money. And I was able to stand out as a result of that. But I think it was just a mindset shift. And, you know, that happens, I think for a lot of parents is where like, my time is super valuable. I'm not going to waste it. I want to go for the, you know, the, the opportunities that are, it's sort of this like confluence of, value and meaning and money. Uh, cause I got to get back to my family cause they're number one. I love it. Well, that's, that's incredible. And, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of so money. I, I listened to it and, um, big fan of how you not only, um, dissect things with experts and, uh, break that down for people on a, a meaningful way, but also you invite other folks onto the show to answer questions from the audience. That's a great way to break it down and have a not only at a fun time, but a, a very um, financially educational time as well, too. So I know that people are really enjoying that show. So when when women make more, obviously, this is a subject you're very passionate about. So as we look ahead, you've got you've got young children. Where, where would you like to see this conversation go? We've talked about a lot of things, culture, family, career, and the the things that are maybe inhibiting those, um, the avenues of, of women making more. Where would you like to see this conversation go as your children head to getting into the workforce or thinking of families, having families Mm -hmm. of their own? You know, in a perfect world, I would love it for not to not be a conversation. (laughs) You know, like we could just take it for what it is and, and go and, and roll with it. And, uh, it not being perceived as such a potential handicap or challenge that it doesn't matter who's making how much it, what matters most is that every person feels like they're doing the right kind of work for them and that they're 
they're adding value and that they feel that they're making what they deserve and that, uh, that women, especially I have a daughter, you know, that she feels like she's worth it and that there is nothing that is stopping her. I want to emphasize too to young women today that as we put so much emphasis on our education and our careers, let's also try to be very deliberate about the partnerships that we enter into and not just, you know, because he's cute or she's sexy, but like, actually, will this person support me in my goals? Right. Uh, a lot of times love can be blind and, but you have to be smart too about your partnership. Is this the sort of person who will be okay if I start making more or if my career takes off and I really want to pursue it, even though we may have a family at home, how is that going to work? These are not conversations that we may feel we have the the preparation to have ahead of time, but that is when you need to start talking about these things. You know, who's going to support us? What kind of infrastructure are we going to create in our household to be able to support our goals as a family, but also our individual goals as humans, as individuals in the relationship. And I, I think what I wish I had learned more about growing up was that importance in finding the right partner. And I feel like I, I arrived at the right partner, but it was not, it was not because I had any sort of training, you know, I just, I think I just got lucky, but it's, it should not be taken for granted. So I hope in the future that this just becomes, uh, an accepted way of living of life that, um, you know, I think I read a statistic that we aren't going to get to gender parity, at least as far as the wage gap is concerned until 2040, which is a long time, but you know, it's, we, I think we can get there faster if we start having more of these conversations. That's right. Through conversations like this. That's excellent. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, your, your, your point is, your point is spot on. I went on to a, um, I went to a teacher conference last night for my kids and we moved to a school district, um, that is very diverse. And I love that. Um, I grew up in a predominantly white community and, um, I'm a white American myself, but I wanted, I wanted my kids, um, to see see what the world is for what it really is, um, and so we we went to a uh, our teacher conference last night, and they said that there are thirteen different world languages spoken at our school, and just a myriad of different cultures. And I'm just so excited about that because they're going to grow up just thinking that this is normal. This right. is this is the way America is. This is the way the world is. And the conversation that you're having today too is was what I would like as well. You know, if you grow up with it, thinking that it's okay. It, it's actually great. It's, there's benefits to it when women make more, when women have the money to do what they want, to give back, to start businesses and grow. That's the, that's a great world to live in. So I just want to applaud you for what you're doing. I have a young daughter too. She's six years old and um, I want the best for her and I want her to do well. So where, where can people find your book when she makes more? Uh, Amazon would be the best place. Uh, it's in paperback now, so look for it in paperback. And you can also find more of my work and the book at farnoosh.tv. And the podcast is uh, is there as well. So I would love to connect with you all in 
one of those ways or all of those ways. If you have questions too, I answer people's questions every Friday on my podcast. And you can ask a question either through the website at somoneypodcast.com. You can click on Ask Farnoosh. And also on Instagram, I'm very busy on Instagram these days. I have a lot of fun there and um, people have been sending me their questions through direct message there. And I usually answer within 48 hours if you have something that's really time sensitive. Excellent. Well, I'll put all that information in the show notes, everybody. Oh, and uh, for all you busy parents out there, this is how I read read the book, quote unquote, is uh, Audible. You can check it out on Audible too. Oh, that's too. right. So um, I know sometimes that's hard for me to sit down and read a book. So <laughs> I catch it in the car while I'm running. So that's how I cut your book. And uh, Farnoosh, thank you so much uh, for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. An inspiring message of family financial wellness from my new friend, Farnoosh Tarabi. It was such a pleasure speaking with her today. I am always impressed by parents that can grow their careers and businesses and still put family first. And Farnoosh does just that. She's a mother, a wife, and a business owner. Oh, and uh, she's doing stand-up comedy lessons as well, I heard. (laughs) I forgot to ask her about that one. But uh, I did find a surprisingly hilarious clip of her on YouTube doing an impression of her Iranian mother. And I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. But here is a little taste for you all. That's basically Persian mom. 's some good stuff right there man my my mother-in-law is from Baghdad so my my wife Nicole has been known to uh, to do a killer mom accent as well <laughs> I'll have to get Nicole and Farnoosh together and they can do like a Middle Eastern mom impression challenge <laughs> anyway I'm getting off topic here here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Farnoosh Tarabi number one. Make time for the important family moments. Farnoosh is rocking her career and making great money, but she always makes time for family. Whether it's taking her boy to the bus or making family dinner time a priority, she might not be there all the time, but she's there for the important times. It's good for us to think about that as well. What are those important times that if you were to look back 10 years from now and say, man, I wish I worked less and there was more time for blank. What is that? Is it the soccer games? Is it the ice cream socials? Is it Halloween? What are you missing now? 
because of work or your small business that you don't want to be missing. Yes, we do need to be successful and profitable and hardworking, all those good things, but these family moments aren't going to happen again. They're going to get older soon, and we're going to be bummed that we missed out on these types of things. I'm saying this as I'm recording from the road right now from a week-long work trip. So maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's why it's top of mind for me. So what can we adjust in our schedules? What arrangements can we work out with our nine-to-fives so that we can be there for the important times? Something to think about. I know I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Number two, realize it's okay to shift roles in your marriage. There are going to be times when you're needed at home, ladies. And men, there are going to be times when you're going to be needed at home as well. And there are also times you're both going to be needed at work. Be okay with the shift. It's natural, and there are no defined gender roles that are required of you. You do not owe anyone in this society anything. You don't owe it to society. You don't owe it to news media. You don't owe it to advertising. You don't owe it to Pierce Morgan telling you you can't take care of your child the way you want to take care of your child. Oh, that burned me so much. <laughs> they don't define who you are. You do. You define what kind of man you are. You define what kind of woman you want to be, what kind of spouse you want to be. We're coming up on a point where both of our kids, Nicole and I, are going to be in kindergarten soon. So we're going to have that uh, discussion point on uh, what our next roles are. I'm not sure what Nicole is going to want to do. She might want to go back to work after being at home for a while with kids. She might want to expand her organizing business. I might have a more active role at home. Who knows? But I will be flexible because she's worth it and we're worth it. Number three, think what you can do to help women make more. Gentlemen, are you in a senior position at work and do you honestly feel there is no gender pay gap with the people you manage? If there is, take some action. The changes you make today will have ramifications for your daughter's future. You are in control. Are you in a position to support a working mom with flexible hours or flexible scheduling? Having a child is a life-changing event. Put yourself in their shoes and do your best to be flexible. Are there women-owned businesses, small businesses that you can support? These are all questions I'm asking myself after this interview. I'm all about women's equality and support for basic rights of working mothers. What can we do as men to better support the women in our lives? So those were my top three takeaways. Number one, make time for the important family moments. Number two, realize it's okay to shift roles in your marriage. And then number three, think about what you can do to help women make more. What a great handful of knowledge we received from uh, Farnoosh Turabi today. I wish her the best of luck with her booming career and her happy young family. 
it's time to announce the Money Master of the Week. Amy from Minnesota called in with a huge victory in her career path. Let's hear from Amy. Hi, everyone. My name is Amy, and I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And my recent financial success story is that I recently accepted a new position as an associate wealth manager at a local wealth management firm. And with this new position, I realized a 25% increase in my annual salary. So how I accomplished this was I applied for the job right after I graduated from my studies in finance. And I had no previous experience in financial planning, but I was really passionate about um, personal finance, specifically women who work in the field. And so I really wanted to work for a company that valued that as well. And again, I didn't think I'd get the call for the interview, but I did. And when I went in, I instantly felt a connection with the founder and the other associates and truly felt like it was the perfect match. And obviously they did as well because I ended up getting the offer and accepting the position. So how I initially celebrated was I went home and my husband made me the most glorious meal of steak and lobster and we shared wine and just toasted to all the great things that were happening in my life. And it has been such a dream working here since. And my next financial goal is I actually just started my MBA program with a concentration in finance. So my next financial goal will be paying off these school loans because for the first time in my life, I have school debt, which is not fun, as many of you know, but that is next on the list. A 25% increase in her salary. That is incredible. She made the move from one job to another, got a big pay raise, and pursued a career path that she's passionate about. Talk about a win-win. Amy's now pursuing her MBA, so this salary is just going to keep rising and rising. Way to go, Amy. If you want to connect with Amy and follow her path to financial independence, FI, FIRE, whatever you want to call it, check her out at 5feetsmall.com. That's 5feetsmall.com. Amy, thank you so much for sharing your victory today, and congratulations for being our Money Master of the Week. Do you have a recent financial victory that you want to share on the show? You got to reach out to me, people. I want to celebrate you. Email me at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or leave me a voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. I would absolutely love to hear from you and celebrate your wins and really just motivate people as well. These stories show you that people out there are kicking butt, growing their careers, paying off debt, doing great things for their family. And it's just good to surround yourself with these types of stories, my friends. You'll find all the links and resources for today's show at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 105, session 105. My friends, if you are digging this show, if you're really digging it, I mean, you've been listening to it for a little while. I, I, I really would appreciate a favor from you. Please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts today. The reviews help people find the show and grow the reach of family financial empowerment. We are doing something incredible together. It's so cool. And of course, you know, the, the reviews, they make me smile too. So I, I, I do enjoy smiling. So that would be great. So please go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Apple Podcasts. 
Or if you're not an Apple person, go to Stitcher and leave me a review there. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Stitcher. So for Apple Podcasts, that's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Apple Podcasts. And then Stitcher, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Stitcher. I really appreciate the support, everybody. I have a goal of hitting 200 Apple Podcast reviews by the end of the year, and I'm at 147. So with your support, I really think I can get there. So thank you in advance. There are 2,500 people listening to this show each week. So if I could get 53 of you, is that the right math? 147 plus 53. Yeah, yeah. 53 of you to leave a review, I will hit my goal. So please consider it. Literally takes two minutes and I really appreciate it. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Inyanla Vincent. The way to achieve your own success is to be willing to help somebody else get it first. Let's think about who we can help today. Carpe diem. Carpe diem.